This is Milena, and welcome to another episode of Scientific Mavericks Podcast, where it is my pleasure to introduce an incredibly talented team of thought leaders and innovators who are at the forefront of reinventing the way retail companies and channels make business decisions today. Hivery is an Australian AI machine learning startup with about 40 employees located around the world, predominantly in Australia, Japan, and the US. Our focus is retail space optimization, effectively optimizing what and how much product is put in vending machines, retail coolers and fridges, supermarket shelves, and as well optimizing promotions running in all of these locations. We call this hyperlocal retailing, relevant localization of product mix, space and promotion at physical store level, helping CPG and retailers keep their competitive edge in an era of data, complex rules and AI. To learn more about how Hivery is revolutionizing the retail space, you can always visit our website, hivery.com, and learn about our products, other cool podcasts, and industry awards like Deloitte's Top Fast 50 and Australia Financial Review's Top 100, and more. Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce Ryan Wong. Ryan is a software engineer at Ivory and has been a part of the team since November 2018. A little bit of background about Ryan before we jump into our discussion with him. Ryan graduated from the University of the Philippines in 2015 with Bachelor of Science degree in Computer Science with cum laude honors. During his time at Hivery, Ryan has mentored many junior developers. Ryan is passionate about MBA, bouldering, playing basketball and lifting and is vocal about building confidence and focusing on self-growth in order to excel not just in the business world, but also in life in general. And to kick this episode off, Ryan will first share who his favorite NBA players are and why. I don't have a favorite NBA team, but when I was a kid, I idolized Steve Nash because of his passing. But then LeBron James came up, and then ever since I just followed him, he's one of my role models, I guess. These kinds of players, they're so genetically gifted. LeBron James, for example, is six foot nine, 250 pounds, and he runs so fast he can jump 40 inches. Aside from his genetic, he still works hard and he invests so much in his body. I guess I like his work ethic in a way. There is a good saying that goes hard work beats talent. Yeah. But when talent is coupled with hard work, then it becomes unbeatable. Yeah, that's how you become great from being good. Mm-hmm. So what sports do you play now? And does it help you to stay fit, not just physically, but also mentally? So I still play basketball from time to time, but I found my body aging <laughs> and I've been injured a lot lately. So I recently got into bouldering and now more on sports climbing. My Gym work ethic has changed. Before, I was just focused on getting strong, but now I'm more focused on being like functional. So when I go to the gym now, I train myself so I can climb more stuff, jump better. Whereas before, I was just 
mainly doing weightlifting just to get bigger and stronger. And in terms of the mental health, I guess it also helps me because when I go to my bouldering gym, it just helps me space out. And solving one problem in the bouldering gym gives me the same satisfaction I would get when I'm building something at work. There is a good documentary I've watched recently. It's called Free Solo about Alex Honnold. Have you watched it? Yeah, I was sweating my hands so much while watching that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was so fascinated when in this documentary, they were breaking down the physics and the actual technique behind Alex's climbing. And my hands were sweating too. And by doing that, I can understand how it helps you to space out and focus just on one thing. And I think a lot of sports can do that for you. I can personally relate with surfing, yoga, dance. And I would agree that doing those sports also helps me to stay sane. And even just taking one hour a day when I get to practice more, (laughs) that's always good. But even just taking one hour a day can help me make my mind so much more clear. In terms of productivity at work as well, sometimes I would hit up the gym in the morning and I'm, after that, sometimes I would eat coffee, but most of the time, after sweating yourself out, you feel like, damn, I'm going to crush this day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you graduated from uni in 2015. I have just graduated myself in December 2019. Since it's a rather recent experience for both of us, I'd love to hear from you. What are three things that you learned during that time? So the main learnings I got from there is like having that perseverance. And then another thing is like the management of time. I guess in most unis here, it's also the same case where you have the power to schedule your courses. So it made me better in managing my time as well. And lastly, I feel like I started building good habits when I was in the uni. Like I started going to the gym. It was tough for the first few months, but I learned that it's always tough for the first few months. But after you get through that hurdle, it gets easier. And then I guess it's different for different people. But I I learned that I'm better at being organized, but flexible. For example, when I travel I'm organized in a way that I plan everything, like the general schedule, but on that day, I have no plans at all. Like I can be still flexible. I think the most important thing is I was so focused at getting something when I was in uni in general that sometimes I would get so disappointed when I don't get them. And I just learned that there's some things that will not happen, but you just have to focus on the things you can control like there's a lot of factors that you just can't control if i may share my learnings because they're very similar to yours it wouldn't be just three but one of the things that i've learned is opportunity cost am i willing to pull an all-nighter or sleep and do what makes me mentally sane Yeah, yeah and as time progressed I'd pick my mental health over me sacrificing it for a grade. And this goes hand in hand with what is the optimal or minimal amount of effort I can put 
in, into something to achieve the highest possible result. And that sort of became my goal in the last two, three years of uni. How can I put my head down for three hours and get an A for a midterm? Yeah. <laughs> and I've noticed that a lot of people I went to uni with didn't utilize their time effectively and in a smart way. They yeah. would be studying all day, but actually just sitting in the library and hanging out with their friends and then not really doing anything besides that with their day. And the last point I think goes hand in hand with the previous point is I learned to accept that sometimes you don't always get the result that you want, but you know that you've done your best and you're not beating yourself up for yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. So... <laughs> In other words, grades do not define you as a person. And you can still go outside of the uni and become successful in an area or field that you choose. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like, for example, I would see people would just study 24-7 and then they, they go out of uni. And the reality is the grades are useless. They're good for your grad, post-grad probably, but... After one or two years, it really doesn't matter. It's more about like the other things that you learn throughout that journey. It's not about the result, as you said. Yeah, and I think uni is a great way to become structured. But if you don't learn to develop your own structure, you become dependent on structure being imposed on you. And I think that's one of the struggles a lot of graduates experience unless they learn to develop their own way as they pursue their bachelors because it might feel like oh I no longer get a grade for my efforts so what can possibly indicate that I'm doing good and in the business world yeah. you don't know if you're doing good especially if you're working for a startup because a lot of times there isn't a structure in, set in place and you need to be a self-starter and develop your own process and sometimes do it individually because others have their own share of work to do. And I think that's yeah. another thing that uni helps with. It helps you to become organized and structured, but then you need to learn how to do it when there is no structure being imposed mm -hmm. on you. Anyway, moving on from this. So all the learnings we have just talked about could you share an example or two how you're able to apply these learnings in other areas of life now that you've graduated? You've mentioned being diligent, going to the gym and being organized, but could you dive a little deeper? After you finish uni, the first two years is character building. And it's just about like managing expectations, basically. I guess it's more about like the confidence that you give yourself and how you talk to yourself mostly about mental health I guess mm -hmm. because I feel like that's the the most struggle that most postgrads deal with early in the 20s you just finished out uni you're starting out your career and you're you're looking at all the other people you're also comparing yourself a lot with your peers that just finished uni like some people would do better some would not sometimes it's about like the work ethic and luck so so right now, after finishing uni, I started like getting the habit of after the day, I would just go to my computer and learn more stuff about software engineering or making apps, like making small projects. I never stopped doing that. Up till now, I'm still doing some heaps of pet projects 
if you call them, mm-hmm. where I can learn and apply my skills and experiment more. And I'm not sure if you know this term, uh, Mamba mentality. Uh, if you know Kobe Bryant, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's like a phrase coined by him called Mamba mentality. It's about like that killer instinct where you have to just work really hard to get what you want. Just try to improve yourself year per year. So right now, I think some people do it. Every year, you, people would do their New Year's resolution. <laughs> and yeah, I still do that in some ways. Like For example, in my climbing, I would say that when I began climbing two years ago, like December of 2018. So the next year, I said, okay, um, this year, I'm going to climb up to V5, V4. And I've done that. I've crushed that. Mm-hmm. So this year, 2020, now I want to be consistent in climbing V6, V7. So it's sure you get get up to focus on something and improve yourself. And to add to that, like after finishing uni, I was so reserved. I wasn't very talkative as I am now. I didn't socialize. I didn't have a girlfriend back then. I was so scared at talking to girls even after finishing uni. So I worked <laughs> on that. Not just with girls, but actually socializing to people. And I would say I'm more relaxed now. Like learning that building habits and being good at something takes time and a lot of experience and being patient about it. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's just my main philosophy philosophy right now. I would agree with you. And to add to the point of comparing yourself to others. So again, meeting expectations and having expectations for yourself and comparing yourself to others, you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what their life is like. And a lot of times life is full of swings, highs and lows. We go through periods when we're on a low and we can't perform as a lot of people expect us to, as we expect ourselves to perform. So when it comes to comparing yourself to others, It's really just a waste of time. And if you really want to see if you're progressing, you don't have to look further than what you did yesterday. Did you do anything different today? As you can tell, Ryan and I really enjoy philosophical conversations. The next part of this podcast is focused on software engineering. And before we jump into our discussion, I will share some background about Ryan. Ryan started his software engineering career in high school, primarily solving math problems with programming. When going to uni and choosing on a major, he got inspired by a movie called Three Idiots and decided to go with his passion. While at uni, programming became Ryan's hobby. He was building websites and prototypes, and to this day, Ryan works on different projects as he believes the best way to learn is to get your hands dirty and work on different aspects of a project. His main criterion is the project has to be useful. Now, we are going to jump into Ryan sharing what resources he uses to stay up to date with current technology trends. I mainly think I do 60% front-end right now, so I follow the creator of Redux, if anyone knows it, Dan Abramov, he's also Russian (laughs) (laughs) because of his popularity. Facebook, the maker of React, the one that maintains React, got him to be one of the core devs and he's so popular, he's so opinionated that (laughs) 
he's like the most popular person in the front end world right now. Um, if you would want to re- read his blog, it's called Overreacted. I think most most of it is about philosophical things. Like one recent example was about writing code so that you can easily delete it later. It doesn't make sense that you write code to delete it. But with how fast the technology, how fast all these startups are growing, that's the reality. You're going to write code now, but after six months, after a year, you're going to delete it later. So if you write something very complicated, then it's going to be hard to make those, make those changes later on. Um, so other, mm-hmm. other blogs or other resources that I follow is Reddit. Number one, Reddit, React.js. A lot of subreddits. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> Hacker run sometimes, but not really. And Twitter. Um, yeah, surprisingly, Twitter is really good with keeping up with tech. Ryan, how do you come up with an engineering solution when you are faced with a business problem? I feel like the process is first with a domain that you're trying to solve, for example, with us, the retail space. You're going to have to talk to the actual users, to the actual people who's doing their jobs day-to-day and ask them what's their day-to-day operation. And from that, you're going to have to ask some questions. I'm going to ask them, what are the pain points? What are the tasks that takes the most time? And then from there, you're going to ask if they're using some kind of technology or tool that helps them perform better and faster. And usually we have UX expert here, user experience expert. These guys have been doing a lot of studying about the best possible experience. So you got to talk to them. Actually, they do a lot of most of this research, but you got to work together to come up with a solution that you can present to those users. And once you have like the mock-up or MVP, you got to present it to them. Mm-hmm. Once that's good, and that's when you get to start working, getting dirty, and doing the actual app or solution. Then you get to deliver it, get feedbacks from them after giving them the actual product, and yeah, rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. What is your step-by-step action plan and thinking process? Yeah, um, that's like the most general one, but if, for example, I already have the requirement in, in today's time, I would just... First, Google if that problem already exists or that solution is already there. Like, I just don't want to reinvent the wheel because sometimes, especially for startups, what you said before, you got to pick your spots. It's more cost effective to just pay someone $50 per month than to actually make something yourself. And yeah, look at the, the options out there. And sometimes you got to steal ideas from your competitors. When it comes to being a great software engineer, what three skills would you say one needs to develop to be a great software engineer that are often overlooked? I feel like most of these skills are soft skills. I find technical expertise overrated just because there's a lot of very good technical people out there. But in terms of how they deal with people, like, as I said, software engineering is a teamwork. It's not an individual work. Like playing tennis, for example, mm-hmm. you should be able to participate and 
have that good chemistry with your team. It's more about like the leadership skills and people management skill that sets a really great developer apart from a good developer. First off, I think open-mindedness and teamwork and collaboration stands out the most. Mm -hmm. A lot of people out there, they have like strong opinions, but when the problem comes and when the team discusses about like the best solution, and it's not just about the best Mm -hmm. solution because there's a lot of factors. There's the factor of time or the business pressure or even resources if you don't have enough people to do it. And sometimes the most opinionated ones who are not open-minded would just stick to what they believe is the right thing to do. But most Mm -hmm. of the time, you need that second or third or fourth person to give you more perspective with the problem. And another thing is about confidence. So I feel like it's an issue with juniors and mid-level developers because I've mentored a lot of juniors and I've worked with a lot of mid-developers and they just they they have so much in their brain that they they don't they just don't share because they're afraid of trying to sound so stupid. Mm-hmm. And I tell them that it's just the confidence. Like if you were to uh, I'm gonna use I'm gonna use NBA again for example. <laughs> a lot of the best three point shooters, Steph Curry, a lot of players would shoot three hundred three sixty threes in a row in practice, and that's good. But mm-hmm. sometimes in the last three shots, they fail to shoot them. Shooting fifty seven shots in a row was so easy, but the last three shots would take so much time because. It comes down to that fear, that anxiety that they have. Like, it's a mental thing. Like, something's blocking you. So once you get through that hurdle, mm-hmm. once you get that confidence, it's just mm-hmm. automatic, I guess. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it's about being opinionated as well. Like, as I said, third time now, software engineering is a teamwork. So we need everyone to talk. We need everyone's opinion. Mm-hmm. Having everyone's opinion just makes everything for the business better. Mm-hmm. Have you always been opinionated and felt comfortable to speak up? And how do you as a mentor for junior developers instill that confidence in them and focus on the development of their soft skills? Yeah, I guess it it took me like two, three years to actually be opinionated. (laughs) Like, actually, I myself didn't have that confidence. That's why I'm very... Mm-hmm. like outspoken in terms of this because in my first two years I had so much things to say but I was so afraid to come out as someone stu- so stupid I'm not sure but there was like one guy that worked for Hyvery his name is Joao I credit him a lot in terms of giving me confidence because he would just say things and I, it just made me realize that yeah everyone here makes mistakes everyone doesn't know everything like, no one knows know it all, right? And it's about passing, mm-hmm. I guess, that that experience and passing that learning that I, I got to my juniors as well. So it's, it's something that you build throughout your career. In, in my sport, bouldering, if you're trying to climb something like a hard problem, there's a lot of people watching you because bouldering is mostly like if you would compare to running, it's like comparing a 100-meter sprint 
to a marathon comparing to sports climbing. So most of the time you're just sitting there and resting because everything's just so explosive. So whenever I try to do something really hard, I think in the beginning I was so I was so afraid of failing. I was so afraid of falling a lot that I would just not try it. But you gotta have to build that that trust and like that confidence myself to just do it. I don't care about what people think, right? I'll just fail whatever. Everyone came here, everyone failed, and that's how you get better. Sports do help us to build so much confidence and they teach us a lot of circumstances and situations that we get to apply in other areas of life. So I would really encourage others to find either sports or another hobby that would be that release and an outlet for them. I like it. Like it's it's the same thing for me. Like literally I was so afraid of heights before I went climbing. Bouldering is just like three to five meters high. And in my first month, whenever I get up to like the third or fourth meter, I would look down and I was I was already having that Elvis Presley moment. I was just shaking. And yeah, to, to experience that and face that fear is just so like, it, it's just the satisfaction. It's, I don't know what, it's unbeatable. And you can apply it to your life because every time I do something, not just at work, but in everyday life, Whenever I I had a hudge, some sometimes you would say like if you're gonna text someone, not not just by dating, but like for example, if you're gonna apprehend someone, like tell someone that you don't like something, and you you wrote a very long paragraph, for example, but you know that moment when you just can't press enter to send a message. I felt like before I would have to wait two or three minutes to have the courage. I would go and sit and run and do whatever until I can hit that message. But right now, it's just write something, hit the enter, and then done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think also having a support system at a workplace can be very beneficial to helping to build and gain confidence. And I think this is a concept that I took from dance. The way you train in dance is you go to workshops and recently I've noticed that teachers have really been emphasizing and encouraging compassion and support when it comes to your peers, especially if you're doing better than them. You are expected to come over and ask if they need any help and I think the same concept can be applied when it comes to mentoring juniors or working on a project together, or as you mentioned, software engineering is really a teamwork. And asking if someone needs help and support can be instrumental in helping them to develop their confidence. It is really true. Like, actually, sometimes I would ask questions to the people that I'm mentoring. Mm-hmm. If, like, genuinely, if I don't know something, I would try to ask them because you just don't know if they, they've experienced, mm-hmm. if they've solved that problem before. Mm-hmm. And I found that asking someone a question or, like, getting some favor from them makes them feel so good and it just builds mm-hmm. so much chemistry. And you just have to be mm-hmm. genuine about it as well. Mm-hmm. On this podcast, the conversations that... I've had so far with the people I've recorded with, there is a pattern of Hivory really helping juniors to build their confidence. Yeah. 
Sean, for example, shared his story about joining as a junior and then first day being handed over a project and someone believed that he could do it and he believed in himself that he could do it as well. I've also, from recent recordings, had 10 viewers share a very similar story and experience and there is a general pattern at Hivery that people who are at a superior level than you are turn to you and ask for your opinion. Yeah. In my case, for example, I had Frankie send me presentations and decks and ask for my feedback, saying, I value your feedback. And it makes me feel like I can actually voice my opinion. And it makes me want to work harder because I do want to add value. Yeah. And in general, that's such a great way to encourage personal growth, to ask your juniors to come up with a solution because that helps them to take responsibility and that helps them to think bigger. Yeah, I would say that Hyvery was like the pivot of my career in terms of confidence. Like what I said before, with Chuao mentoring me and giving me that confidence. For me to be experiencing this at an early stage in my career, it's very invaluable. As you can see, Ryan and I are very passionate about the topic of building confidence and self-growth. And just to finish off this podcast, I wanted to share two interesting ways I recently came across of encouraging confidence in others. One of them is school teachers not being allowed to say good or you're right in response to their students' answers. This way, children learn not to seek validation for their opinion. And another one is a man who became a celebrity due to his social experiment of taking no as an answer more comfortably. For 30 days, every day, he would ask people questions he expected them to say no to, like, can I please have this burger for free? Or asking strangers for a $100 bill to learn how to take no as an answer and feel okay with the rejection. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Stay tuned and till the next time, everyone.